Audio Drama Insiders, the podcast giving you the lowdown on the most prolific and talented creators in the industry. And now, here are your hosts, Craig Hart and Trisha Rose. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Audio Drama Insiders. My name is Craig Hart, and I'm here with my trusty co-host, Trisha Rose. How are you doing today, Hi. Tr- uh, Trisha? In this moment, I am doing wonderful. Good. I have a bit of a question about how I'm doing. Last night, I was sitting on the couch with one of my twin boys, Andrew, and he said, Daddy, how old are you? 41. He's like, well, I guess you'll be moving on to heaven soon, huh? I was like... <laughs> Whoa, okay. Do you know something I don't? Because <laughs> <laughs> to him, that's ancient, right? He's, he's seven <laughs> years old, so apparently I'm about to keel over from old age. <laughs> oh, dear. I guess I'm not too far behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better watch our step. Scary. Uh, we have a great guest today, though. Why don't you introduce our guest today, Trisha? Yeah, Christopher Green. Chris is the producer of faith-based shows like Shadows and Daylight and co-creator of the comedies Greenhorn Tales and the Jimmy, Sam, and Tommy show, which are all available on Dramafy. Chris has also produced the Jimmy, Sam, and Tommy show, as well as being the founder of the Audio Drama Alliance. Residing in Canada, he lets his Canadian perspective shine through in his productions. He likes to create dramas with purpose, whether that purpose is to share his faith or to make people laugh. Welcome, Christopher, or should I say the Red Green Show? (laughs) 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 For those who aren't watching, that's uh, he has red hair. So (laughs) I love I love the analogy. Yeah. Do you go by Christopher or Chris? Chris is fine. Yeah. Okay. So much to unpack there in your bio. I wanted to ask you. What it, what is the Audio Drama Alliance, and, and uh, when sure. you, when you founded that, what need were you trying to fill? Um, the Audio Drama Alliance is basically a collective of creators who love audio drama. They want to create audio drama, and there's um, there's varying level of experience that people have. They might be like. I'm very new to this, or I've put out some, you know, uh, amazing things already. Someone like um, Darby Kern, for example, who's had, um, you know, a lot of notoriety in what he does in the audio drama space. But we have other people too who are uh, newer to the scene and they're already making waves. People like um, Dominic Trice. I probably said his last name wrong, but um, Dominic's doing some great stuff with Saint Benedict um, Radio there, and so, uh, but relatively new. To the scene, but he's already making great uh, waves there. So, really, um, yeah, it's a place for people of of all different levels of experience to kind of come together and share share what's working, share what's not, um, share what they're working on, and network and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, how it came about in the first place and what need that was trying to fill. Um, so. Some listeners, if they're really like super into the niche world of Adventures and Odyssey, I know that's a that's a popular audio drama. But if they're very into the 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 very niche, there's a very interesting niche Odyssey homeschool concentric um, world online. I would say, and there is a uh, a fan show that ran for a while called uh, the Ceiling Fan Podcast. And um, by put out by Kevin McCreary, 
who's a YouTube uh, personality these days. Um, and uh, it was sort of a fan podcast show. And I, as somebody at the time who was trying to really reach out to anybody that I could about audio drama and say like, hey, will you listen to my stuff? Will you like <laughs> tell me what's wrong with it and how to make it better and all that kind of stuff? Um, I reached out to Kevin because I was really into um, Blimey Cow at the time. I don't know, it's a YouTube channel and he had done uh, some work with them and I liked what he did. So I was like, hey, would you listen to some stuff? And, you know, he gave me some feedback and that sort of thing. And I ended up working with him on on his audio drama show that he was working on, the Ceiling Fan Podcast. And towards the end of life of that show, when he was more busy on his YouTube channel and stuff, I was I kind of became the uh, project coordinator. I think that's what we called me. But basically, uh, you know, he was still in charge of the show, but I was kind of working with people with the team. So I was doing a lot of the writing, the sound design, Foley, all that kind of stuff. And then bringing some new talent that wanted to work on this stuff. Um, and we got to do a few things, but then kind of, uh, you know, just, just life things kind of made it clear that it was time to end the, end that show. But I really felt bad for the people who would kind of just come on who were like, oh, you didn't have a, you didn't have a chance to really like, you know, try out your stuff and, and really do something. So we kind of threw around these ideas, me and a few of them like, hey, what if we, what if we started a new show? And we were all on different uh, wavelengths of the kind of thing we like to do. And we said, well, what if we started something where we can work together, share skills, grow, but it doesn't have to be a specific genre or a specific like show that we're making. And so that's kind of how Audio Drama Alliance was born initially. And then we just kind of different people in our circles who are into this kind of stuff was like, oh, hey, why don't you join along too? And uh, since then, it is it has changed and it has grown a lot. Um, I had to step back from really kind of uh, heading it up and kind of passed it on to JD Sutter, who's kind of taken it to much higher heights than I could have. And I've, I'm really excited to see what it's kind of become and it's sort of a uh, new phase of life, if you will. <laughs> yeah. You're involved in a lot of different aspects of the audio mm -hmm. drama world, acting, sound design, editing, producing. What's your favorite? So at my... At my core, I'm a storyteller more than anything else. And for me, audio is a way to tell stories. Um, I'm also, you know, a, a visual artist. I like to draw, I do comics, all kinds of stuff. So for for me, um, it's, it's all about finding a medium that best tells the kind of story that you want to tell. Um, you know, is there a reason that it can be told visually or a reason that it can be told through audio in a way that is going to be leaning, uh, leaning into it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that we should be using mediums to their strengths, not just because they're convenient. Um, so, so a lot, sometimes people will use audio drama as sort of testing grounds because maybe they, what they wanted to really do was make a TV show or a movie, but they're like, well, Hollywood's never going to hire me. So I'll just make an audio drama. And I can understand those reasons. And those are not like, I'm not uh, shaming anybody if those are their reasons. I'm just saying that I think what, the best audio drama is when we use it to its uh, to its strengths, and so um, yeah, for me, 
It's always about storytelling on all of these things enhance storytelling. And I think I've taken that into when I work with other people as well. And they'll ask me like, well, what should I do? Maybe I'm not doing the sound design on a project, uh, for, for example, or I'm not doing the music because I'm not, um, I'm not a musician per se, but, uh, and they're like, you know, how do, how should I approach this? I'm like, well, is what you're doing enhancing the story or distracting from the story? That's what it always comes down to. What do you think makes for a good director of audio dramas? I think the what makes a good director is somebody who has a strong sense of empathy and who is able to be um, one part interpreter, one part cheerleader. And I think that you have to be able to understand the the vision of the script, the vision of this of the story, but interpret that to the uh, to the actors, to the to whoever else you're working with, some and the reason I say empathy as well is not just an empathy and an ability to understand what characters are going through in the story, but to to get a handle on your actors. So everybody learns differently. There, some people are more of a visual learner. Some people are more like um, they need to grasp the feeling. They're more kinetic kind of thing. You know, they need to grasp that feeling of the story. Um, you know, some people, um, you might need to relate it back to something in their life. So, so to put this practically, I could take a scene and I could say, okay, I know that this actor, I've worked with them before. I've gotten to know them. Um, they are, um, they're a person who needs to visualize, which might sound strange when we're talking about audio drama, but I've worked with lots of people who are highly visual people, even though they're doing voice acting. So I'm, I'm setting the scene. So I'm like, okay, in this scene, this is what's happening. I'm trying to use my, just, uh, my descriptive language hat and kind of describe, this is what the scene looks like. This is the movement and the flow of the scene so that they can uh, imagine it and kind of put themselves in the scene. But for somebody else, I might be describing to them, well, this is what your character and this character and that character are feeling right now. This is the subtext that isn't in the in the dialogue, that, that, that the audience isn't gonna hear because we told them, but because it's coming through in your performance. And so putting in that subtext. Now, I've been in the privileged position of oftentimes directing something that I also wrote. So I tend to write a lot of subtext into the script that is not going to be something somebody reads aloud in in, uh, in their performance. Um, because I think one thing that people often overlook is that this script is not written for the audience. The script is written for the actors and it's written for the, the crew. Um, it's, it's there to get the actors and the crew to perform the, what they need to so that that reflects to the audience. It's a step, it's a step away. So in that sense, um, I put a lot of extra information in, like I've had lines where it's like someone says, Oh, and there's like a paragraph in parentheses before <laughs> explaining what they're thinking. Now I've had to cut that back a bit cause I can explain that when I'm directing, but, uh, there is something to be said for putting in that kind of that nuance and stuff, but yeah, just kind of a, I think a good director is somebody who is good with people, understands um, people, and can kind of put things in different languages, if you will. As a director, how do you know how far to push one of your actors? If, so if you have a, a line in mind, maybe they're not hitting it right and you're trying to explain it, 
at some point, I'm assuming there you move on. But how do you know mm-hmm. how far to push? I've kind of um, changed over the over the years with how I approach that. Um, I think early on, I really tried to to push for what I was looking for or in the vision that I had in my head again, because I was often writing and directing. I had a very specific um, vision for what I was looking for. Um, but the, the, the interesting thing is that because I was also often editing the stuff myself and I had bulks of work, I came to a point I'm like, you know what, I don't want 27 takes of the same thing because I know when I get into the editing booth, I'm just gonna be like, you know what, I don't have time to listen to this. I'm using the last one. So, um, I found it was better to have few that had a few variations and then to choose the best from from there because I, I wasn't going to use it. And because it's kind of a, a morale blow for your actor to to be giving them too many retakes. They feel like, um, you know, they feel like, oh, man, I must be really bad at this. He's asked me to retake it so many times. And sometimes it's also just under it's a it's a course correcting being like, OK, I'm not communicating it well enough to them that's why it's not coming through or maybe it's not coming through because i've communicated well but the story doesn't make sense here and they're not reacting that way because no one would react that way (laughs) um so there's uh there's that but one of the things that was a mentality shift for me in regards to how much i would push them now i i've worked with primarily people, uh, non-professionals, primarily non-professional actors. And occasionally when I've worked with people who are a little more professional, they don't, they're not necessarily coming from a voiceover world. They're maybe coming from a, uh, the stage or that kind of thing. And so it's, which is a different kind of acting as well. You know, uh, here and there, I've been honored to work with people who have a bit more experience in voice acting, but a lot of the people that I've worked with are people that I'm like, I'm explaining them what an audio drama is before we start. And so, um, you know, which, which I like, I like kind of taking people and being like, Hey, you have an interest in this, but you haven't been able to do it yet. Like I'll, you know, I'm an amateur too. I'll let you work with me and we'll figure it out together, you know? But, um, what really changed in my mentality was just kind of remembering that like for me, particularly in something, um, faith-based, you know, I really believe that a huge part of what I do comes from, um, a direction higher than myself. And so when I look at it that way, I'm like, well, uh, as a director, I'm not the ultimate head of the vision here. I'm, I'm one of the, I'm just another paintbrush, uh, in the, in the pack here. I'm one of, one of the colors that'll be on the canvas. And sometimes these actors are going to come at it and their own experience and expertise is going to bring something new and fresh to the script that maybe I didn't even think of and that might be better than what I had in mind. And that, and uh, so the way I approach that is, especially if somebody has a different way, they said, well, what if we took it this way? I'll be like, OK, let's we'll take it both ways. And then when I when we get to the editing, we can decide which one's best. And oftentimes it will be the, the alternate version that they tried. Um, it's just knowing at that point, you just have to know your script because sometimes people will try it differently. And you're like, well, that was a really cool way of doing it, but it actually contradicts something down the line. So we can't use that. So knowing your script. But yeah, I would just I would push. And if you're not the editor, just know that um um, an editor doesn't want to listen to 12 takes. I'll just, just be honest. They've got so many actors to go through. They don't, they don't trust me. Anytime I've edited anybody else's, I'm not going to listen to 12 takes. I'm going to listen to four and I'm going to choose the best one, uh, there. So, um, you know, 
more is not always better. There is a threshold there. So, I, but never go with one. If you did one, you didn't even record it because, um, I have had a million times when there's like, man, that, they nailed that line. And then we go back. Oh, but there was a technical failure in the recording. And, uh, there was a dropout in the middle of it and it's unusable now. So, you know, a good, I would say my, my rule of thumb is no less than, uh, no less than two for sure. Three is ideal. Um, no less than three, no more than seven, um, takes first thing, you know? And the other thing too, is if you're not nailing it, come back to the scene, you know, maybe another scene, they'll catch the vision as they go through better. And then when you come back to it, so, but yeah, trust your, trust your actors too. Yeah. And I would assume, especially if you are, you've written the script, you're directing the show, doing all the, all the stuff at some point, you don't, you kind of have to check your ego at the door too. And I'm not talking about specifically yes. you because, but we, we all have it. Right. And so if this is our mm-hmm. project at some point, like, get, all right, we got to, I got to step back and this is not a personal thing anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give that away. Absolutely. And Give I that think to that's... the actors. Definitely on a personal note, I have had to check my ego over time and go like, you know, I said, it's my project, but also recognizing, well, it's not just my project, you know, it's the, for, I I think that there can be a lot of, as a director or a writer in particular, there can be a lot of sense of ownership over a story, but just remembering that like, well, for the actor, this to them, this is their story too, but how they how they are a p- take part in the story is different than the way I take part in a story. And, uh, but it's no less valid and, um, it's necessary too. Otherwise I'd be sitting there doing all the voices and it would sound a bit ridiculous after a while. So, you know, but yeah, just letting, getting, uh, I mean, and we've seen if you've watched any, uh, TV shows that have gone on for, um, a considerable amount of seasons. You start to notice in those last few seasons, if you pay attention to the credits, it's not uncommon that all of a sudden, oh, that lead actor directed this episode now. That's really interesting. Or they even wrote this episode because after a while they can get such a handle. If you're doing an ongoing story like that, anyways, um, they can get such a handle on their characters that sometimes they, they might know better than I even do. And I, even if I created the character. So it's, it's uh, collaborative. You have a great gift for humor and comedy. And I was wondering what, in your opinion, is the key to pulling off great comedy in audio drama? Mm, pulling off great comedy in audio drama. Oh, that's a good, I like that question. Um, I think pulling off co- good comedy in audio drama is, it is a very unique challenge, but I think that pulling off good audio uh, audio comedy is similar to pulling off uh, a good story in, in comedy in general, or sorry, a good story in audio in general. It's like I said, play to the medium. So um, I'll give you an example from uh, Greenhorn Tales. So one of my favorite episodes is Planes and Pony Rides. And uh, in that episode, you know, Cam is... Uh, in the, in the beginning scene, we get this idea, this impression that Cam, spoiler alert, but we get this impression that Cam is really scared to fly in a plane. He's making such a big deal about it. No one else seems very scared, though, but he seems really scared about it. And of course, towards the end of the scene, we realize, oh, he's actually just on a carnival ride. Like, this is not a real plane. Like, he's a bit, a bit of a baby, right? <laughs> and so... But that same scene would be very hard to do in a visual medium for the same joke because it's kind of like, well, 
we can see he's, if it was a visual, you know, if it's a TV show or something, we could see, oh yeah, he's sitting in this thing. It would be, you'd have to really do some real obscuring camera angles, maybe if you wanted to, and it'd just be really hard to, to, uh, to pull that off. But the fact that we can't see what's going on is not a weakness of the medium, it's an advantage of the medium. And so um, whether you're doing comedy, uh, whether you're doing uh, another area, I think this works really well for, and that I've used in like uh, Shadows and Daily, for example, is is mystery. Because in both senses, there's a sense of something unknown, something that we can't uh, see. And so until that last moment when that reveal either makes us laugh or go, oh no, that guy's the bad guy or something, <laughs> right? Um, and we couldn't have seen those things. I always think of a classic example, and this is not a comedy example by any means, but but using the medium well, um, in Adventures in Odyssey, there is this episode, I think it's called The Truth About Zachary, and this kid is in a wheelchair. And we don't know that until the very end of the episode. But throughout the episode, every, everybody is treating him differently. And we don't know why. And so we, writing-wise, it's genius because we're on his side being like, yeah, why would anybody treat this kid differently? Why is everybody treating this kid differently? Whereas maybe maybe in real life, somebody may have a bias in that way where they would think, oh, I, I, I would treat this person differently. But it's to show us like, hey, yeah, you shouldn't be treating this person differently just because they're in a wheelchair. But they're able to use the medium in that way. So with comedy... And great audio comedy, I think that's it, is it's you can use the fact that you can't see something to pull off those jokes um, in a, an amazing way. Because all comedy comes down to, I hate, I hate, 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 hate the quote that somebody says, all combat comedy comes down to pain. I vehemently disagree. It's a, com it's a quote that goes around a lot. I disagree. Not all comedy co goes to pain. I believe that God has a sense of humor. He put that in us and that God is not um, espousing for us to all be in pain or that that has to be constructed around that. Um, I understand the meaning, but I think that all comedy comes down to um, maybe uh, you might say misunderstanding or a a twist of some kind. It's always something is going in one direction. You know, the, the classic setup, like in a comic strip, for example, would be some a pattern is set, the pattern is repeated, but now it's changed. And so um, that that twist is really what it's all about. And so you, it's really easy to set that up in a way in comedy. Another good way that you can use comedy audio because it's dial, it's a dialogue heavy medium, um, it, which can be to its detriment if you're not careful, but uh, is wordplay. So I like word humor, you know, jokes that are around that kind of thing, a turn, a quick turn of a phrase kind of thing, real British style humor, if you will say in that sense. But so that wordplay can be uh, one, one that's the, the style of comedy that's probably the hardest to pull off well in, uh, in audio, I would say is absurdist comedy. So I'm Canadian. Um, Canadian humor is very weird. I will say it's uh, it. You mentioned red green. Um, if you ever want to see a really good, strong example of Canadian humor, there's the red green show. You can look up the Ranger Rick cartoons of red green show. It's the dumbest thing you will ever watch. Your brain will melt just watching it. Um, 
but that's the way a lot of Canadian humor can be. The joke is that it's dumb. It's not, it's not, it's the opposite of some like highbrow clever. It's just, this is so stupid, yet it's happening. Shows like um, things like The Office or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where they do something really, which are of course not Canadian, but like very the closest kind of comparison where it's just like, it's funny because that's dumb and no one would ever do that, right? Um that can be really hard to pull off well in uh, audio, I would say, because it can just get really confusing. And when you're missing one of your senses to take in the story, you don't really want to confuse the audience too, <laughs> too much. It's as, Yeah, so. What inspired you to write your other show, Shadows and Daylight? Well, a few things, I would say, but thematically i think the biggest inspiration well i love history first of all and there there is a historical um parallel within the story between um conflicts between the ulsters union and the ira over in ireland and back even further conflicts historically between um protestant and uh, Catholic sort of factions in history. I don't even want to say denominations because I feel it was often more to do with politics than it was to do with religion. So that was kind of a theme going into it, this idea of this sort of like, hey, like if we're espousing, if if a group is espousing to follow Jesus, then we're probably not going to go around uh, killing each other. That doesn't really sound very Christian to me. <laughs> and so um, I kind of decided to like, hey, what if we took some of these elements, but we put it into a new setting? And of course, as we said, I'm Canadian, so I kind of brought it into like, let's make it this like small Canadian town. And um, there's a lot of... Um, French and Irish influence, I would say, in a lot of sort of like uh, Canada's founding, Scottish too, but um, myself, I have some French and Irish background. And so I thought, let's let's bring, bring all of these things kind of uh, out and let's, um, let's play that out here. And so um, I kind of took that to use themes about... To, to use that to have challenging themes to, I would say more so to a Christian audience than it's, it's not so much evangelical as it is saying like, Hey, we as Christians, are we, um, you know, are we believing what we say we believe? Are we living that out with our actions? So, you know, we've got characters in there who are from these two various gangs that are supposedly, uh, drawing roots from, different denominational backgrounds and things like that but they're both of them are using it to degrees that neither real denomination would agree with and um that sort of thing but then we've also got sort of a you know we've got just sort of regular christian characters we've got unbelieving characters ones who are you know sort of neutral ones who are very against kind of thing and using that not to say like let's just make all the non-christian characters get saved now kind of thing yay but like to be like let's kind of like look at this situation from a bunch of different angles here and see where truth falls kind of in all of this you know and what are the the man-made constructs that get in the way of truth sometimes you know um, but i love mystery too i've always loved mystery i grew up reading hardy boys books and that sort of thing and sherlock holmes and um 
you know, I've always, uh, loved that and i thought that you know if we're if we're searching for the truth in this um doing a detective kind of story is kind of kind of an interesting approach to that you know and building that in the story itself changed uh, a lot over time as i changed and grew i mean it's taken a long time to finish as a sort of a um a passion project on the side kind of thing. It's taken a long time to really finish this story arc, like seven years. It's almost finally done. And uh, because of that, I've had this unique way of like being able to kind of tweak the story as I went where I'm like, okay, there's stuff in the, in early episodes where I'm like, yeah, this is like what I thought at the time, but now I'm able to be kind of like, well, the character's growing with me and I'm able to comment back to some of those things. Um, so yeah, the biggest inspiration I think was just wanting to do something, do a faith-based story that wasn't simply either like, Hey, um, you know, the two faith-based, it's not all of them and I'm not credit trying to criticize faith-based stories, but there tends to be a lot that fall in one of two categories, either like, uh, an evangelical story, like, Hey, you should probably get saved or a uh, persecution story like oh no they're taking away our rights and stuff and so it's like I kind of wanted to be like let's not do either of those let's focus on a little bit of um, healthy uh, constructive criticism of ourselves to be kind of like let's we do weird things sometimes let's uh, look at it let's talk about it (laughs) yeah well it's really good I've just started it Um, so far so good and I'm I'm bizarrely addicted to Greenhorn Tales so I'm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really, I've listened to all That's the episodes at least twice. So it's just <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but Chris, thanks so much for joining us on Audio Drama Insider's been great. Everybody, please check out his shows, especially Greenhorn Tales and Shadows and Daylight. You will be glad you did. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Right. Thank you.